Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. All groups of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday the 28th of July. You're here on Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Pierre Morrow. And um, yes, uh, good morning. It's a beautiful sunny day, isn't it, uh, Giselle? Great for a walk, really, but also (laughs) great for a demonstration. Well, Well, um, either or. That's correct. And that um, interview, uh, interview that uh, song that you just heard after Solidarity uh, Breakfast and thanks to Annie for another interesting program was Ngan, um, I'll have to put an, Is it Naranjeri Woman? Naranjeri Woman, yes, by Ruby Hunter so that was fantastic so well done to Annie for making putting on such great music and um, you're listening to Asia Pacific Currents this week, as promised from last uh, last show, we are bringing you an interview with uh, Daniel Goa, who's a spokesperson for the the Kanaki Liberation and Socialist Front of um, Kanak or New Caledonia. Um, we caught up with him a couple of weeks ago at a um, at a um, public meeting, and um, they'll be coming around about quarter past nine o'clock. And uh, Giselle, um, if you want more information about this program, that's right. If you want to know more about not just the program but also who brings you the program, it is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. You can find us on the web or the w's.aawl.org.au. You can email us at aawl at aawl.org.au. And of course, we're on Facebook and Twitter, so find us on those social media platforms. For those of you who have been keenly receiving the mini news for the last uh, eight to ten years, um, you will have noticed that we haven't sent one out since April. We are having difficulty with that particular media platform, but as soon as it's up and running again, we will announce it on radio. I was just going to put up a uh, notice on the website that we're upgrading our website much more, uh, um, what's it called, Um, uh, neutral language. Uh, Nothing neutral about me, Pierre. I'll I'll just say yes. <laughs> anyway, we'll go to the news um, roundup, uh, and the first one goes to India. Uh, Northern India in Haryana state, where a couple of weeks ago, on the 18th of July, hundreds of workers marched in a demonstration organised by the Maruti Suzuki Mazdu Sang Labour Group on the sixth anniversary of an incident at the Manasa plant where a manager died amid a wave of industrial struggles. This incident allowed the Maruti Suzuki management to launch a crackdown on the workers and the union. And uh, regular listeners will know we've brought you lots of updates over the last uh, six years of this uh, huge issue. Um, in conjunction with the Haryana government, thousands of workers lost their job and close 250 workers were jailed. After year, five years of legal battles in March of last year, 117 of these workers were acquitted of all charges, but 31 workers were declared guilty and convicted. 13 of them were sentenced to life imprisonment and they still remain in jail. And Those uh, terminated workers are still going through never-ending legal processes in the hope of getting justice and compensation for their suffering.
The, the latest demonstration called for an urgent need for workers of all industries to unite and fight collectively. Only then can workers face the challenges of management at the industrial uh, workplaces, which I think we would all agree. Moving now to Iraq, last week we brought you updates of the widespread protests by working class communities throughout Iraq against unemployment, corruption and efficient public services. Apart from better public services, protesters have been demanding the end of the current confessional political system that shares power among the main ethnic groups as a major reason for sectarian division and corruption. In the last two weeks, 13 people were killed, many more were injured and close to 100 arrested, while the government has also shut down the internet. The Conference of Iraqi Federations and Workers Union, in a media release, stated, The public protests ongoing in many provinces in our country is a consequence of the grave crisis affecting our society, which is a result of racism, sectarian conflict and the wrong economic and social policies. The protest demands not only drinking water, electricity to protect from summer heat and winter cold, an end to unemployment, hunger the deprivation of services and life below the poverty line. It also demands justice against a rule of oligarchs who break down the national and social fabric of the Iraqi people by force and cruelty. I really love those demands because it um, it actually links uh, the, the dignity claims with the material and... Um, economic claims it's uh it's, it's quite marxist actually <laughs> it's really i was actually moved by it when i read that out uh, yes and look and the really sad thing is uh, wasn't the country invaded in 2003 mm. so it's 15 years getting close to not 16 years and it's still like a disaster area so we're with you um sisters and brothers in iraq um we now go to south korea where we can actually um, report on a small victory. Well, it's been a on- very um, long gestating victory. In an uh, ongoing story that we have brought to you over the last three years, they sit in by Sharps activists. Now, Sharps um, are a uh, occupational health and safety activist group that targets Samsung Electronics in Korea. Was wound up on the 24th of July in a victory. Uh, ceremony after a thousand and twenty three days of sitting the this sitting was held in front of samsung 's headquarters in central Seoul and comes after the company agreed to the demands of the activist. The agreement, which will involve a third party mediation committee, will see Samsung Electronics make a public apologies to its victims to offer better compensation to them and to improve workplace safety measures, including the names of the chemicals it uses in its production processes. As of June 2018, Sharps has catalogued that 320 workers have contracted the illnesses from working at Samsung's electronics. Of these, 118 have died. These are absolutely shocking statistics. And um, Giselle, what would you like to comment about staying on the city for 1,023 days, which I think makes it almost three years look i <clears throat> you know my thoughts about these individuals it was an individual i i it was a it was a relay kind of a, a sitting look I, I mean 
This is a very broad question. I definitely don't want to criticise our Korean comrades on air. I think there is a space for <laughs> discussing strategy, which is in comradely meetings. Maybe we can actually invite them for an interview. Perhaps, perhaps. But even an interview is not where we're going to discuss strategy. Um, but look, it, it is, I mean... What is happening at Samsung is horrendous and shocking and actually the epitome of the insanity and um, psychopathy of capitalism where these human beings who it is so clear that the chemicals used in the production of Samsung products are caught. And not just Samsung, by the way. I mean, the same thing is happening at Foxconn, which is a factory that manufactures iPhones and iProducts. Um <clears throat> We're the manufacturer of these things that we've come to rely on so heavily for our sheer existence, um, kill the workers in the production, and these workers are expendable. That's right. I, I like, uh, before you go into that uh, next mini news item, uh, I like how you got out of that question, but also I like the word psychopathy. I'm not too sure if it's a real word. Psychopathy. But, uh, psychopathy uh, is a real word, trust me. All right. <laughs> Between well. you and me, who knows words? <laughs> I'm going with me. <laughs> Okay, moving now to (laughs) Cambodia. In a piece of good news from earlier in the month, charges against Labor activist Myun Tola were dropped by the Phnom Penh uh, Municipal Court. Tola's charges related to a complaint filed by the Cambodian Youth Party president, Pitch Sros, over the mishandling of the funeral budget for slain political activist Kem Lay, um, and he died in 2016, despite the fact that nobody in Lay's family had filed a complaint. Kem Lay was shot dead on the 10th of July in 2016, two days after he had publicly criticised a Cambodian Prime Minister, Hun Sen, who incidentally has just been re-elected, um, and his, uh, uh, for criticising Hun Sen and his family for abusing its power to get personal wealth. No one has been arrested for Kem Lay's murder. Tola's charges were dropped after an intense international campaign by human rights and labour groups around the world. So what, I mean... That election has just happened um, and given the uh, release of um, Tola or the dropping of those charges happened two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so in the campaign, the election campaign period, so you can imagine how intense that international pressure was for those charges to be dropped in that period of time. And um, uh, the... Um, Oh, what's his name? The the president, um, Hun Sen. Hun Sen uh, was always going to win. He's a dictator. Um, but yes, democratically elected one. Oh, sorry. Yes, that. <laughs> um, all right. We'll go to, <coughs> and certainly the repression of uh, unions in Cambodia is quite harsh. But we now go to India again, where an, another good uh, good uh, news story, which is always good. A recent des- decision by the Kerala government will make life for salespersons most of whom are women much more bearable. The amendments to the labour law will now include directives to limit the workday to eight hours, allowing workers extra toilet breaks, an extra afternoon break, and providing a chair or stool to sit on. Previously, workers may have had to work up to 12 hours a day with only two five-minute toilet breaks, regardless of how far the bathroom was. 
a 30-minute lunch break with penalties imposed for numerous infractions like leaning against the wall, even for a few seconds, speaking to others or sitting down. This is all true, comrades. These amendments also have not just come because somewhere in the government said, oh, that's not very nice. They've actually come after an eight-year fight by workers spearheaded by this woman, uh, Viji Penkut, who formed the Asangadita Mekala Tozi Lali Union in 2010. Now, Viji formed this union after existing unions, mainly run by men, had not shown interest in taking up these issues. In addition, the Kerala Merchants uh, Union, when the fight started, was on record as saying that if workers wanted to sit, to sit or use the toilet at work, they should just sit at home. Um, now, um, part of this industrial struggle uh, in 2014, in a sign of increasing strength, women employees of Kalyan Saris in the town of Thrissur went on strike for the right to sit, as many of the workers were suffering from kidney-related issues, varicose veins, swollen feet and back pain because of the no-sitting-while-at-work rule. So well done, comrades, and enjoy your chairs. Uh, In Turkey, 14 union activists have been continually protesting after being unfairly dismissed from their jobs on the 17th of April this year while organising a union at Kargil, Turkey's corn milling facility in Bursa or Hungazi. This is not the first time Cargill management in Turkey has fired workers for attempting to exercise their rights. In 2015, a court ruled that workers were unfairly dismissed for trying to organise a union at the same plant. Turkey's legal system, however, offers an escape route. As an alternative to reinstating workers who are sacked for forming or joining a union, companies can pay compensation. Cargill opted to pay for its human rights violations rather than reinstate the victimised workers. This is the problem sometimes with how unions come up with demands that actually take the entire movement backwards rather than forwards. Cargill has been repeatedly informed of these blatant rights violations by the IUF and its affiliates with Cargill membership. The company, however, has failed to take any meaningful action to remedy the abuses. There is an international campaign that you can find on the IUF's website. Yes. Well, um, that's the end of the news right now. We had a bit of a mix of good and bad uh, news stories. So that wasn't that wasn't too bad, but it shows really where our class is. Uh, but um, anyway, that's really the end of our uh, news um, summary. It's just on uh, almost quarter past nine o'clock. We'll go to a community announcement and then we'll be back with the interview with Daniel Go about the upcoming um, uh, independence referendum in uh, Kanaki or New Caledonia. Come along to the Ruby Hunter Foundation Benefit Concert at the Toad Hotel on Saturday the 4th of August at 8pm featuring a deadly lineup including The Bits, Dave Arden and the Cucamata Band, Carol Carpany, Will Coyote, Clusterfunk and The Seabirds alongside mystery band The Public Opinion Six. Provide culture for the future. Saturday, 4th of August, Toad Hotel, 8 pm, a Ruby Hunter Foundation benefit concert, a 3CR supporter. Shine bright, shine bright, shine bright. You're not alone. 
It's uh, just on nine, 16 past 9 o'clock here on Asia Pacific. Current brought you every week by Australia Asia Worker Links and uh, on your favourite community radio station, 3CR Radio. A couple of weeks ago, I was um, lucky enough to catch up with Daniel Goa, who is a spokesperson of the uh, Socialist National uh, Liberation Front of Kanak. I'm not too sure what the English is, um, um, but the French uh, is the Front de Liberation. National Kanak and Socialist um, on the upcoming uh, independent referendum in Kanak in New Caledonia, which will happen in November of this year. The uh, interview was conducted um, in French, and the voice of the interpreter uh, is of Sophie Duterte. It's been 30 years since the Matignon Accord. For our listeners, can you please give us a quick summary of the events of the 1980s that led to this accord? The Matignon Accord was signed discreetly and quickly to put an end to the cycle of violence that was rising. It's the events in the Nouvea Grotte d'Ouvea, the cave in Ouvea, that forced our political representatives to meet with the French authorities to, to reach an agreement. Ten years later, there was another accord, the so-called Numia Accord. What did this new accord mean? Alors, donc, euh, les dix ans d'accord de Matignon, the ten years of Matignon Agreement, uh, it was a peace agreement. They're two very different agreements. Matignon was a peace agreement, whereas the Numea agreement was to... There was an unbalance in New Caledonia between the superpower of Numea and the other provinces. And so the agreement of Numea was about fixing that imbalance and making sure that Numea, the capital, was not super powerful. So this work is not finished. Things are being put in place... To, to make the situation more balanced and to ensure that the northern province uh, and the southern province are able to attract people from Noumea. So they're developing infrastructure, they're creating jobs so that people leave Noumea to come and live in those provinces. So from what you have just said, what is the current economic and social, social situation for most of the Kanak people in New Caledonia? Alors, elle est compliquée. Parce que les Kanaks aujourd'hui, quand on regarde comment... It's, it's complicated because when we look at the Kanak, the situations of the Kanak today, the economic development is still mainly profiting Noumea. So a lot of the Kanak people live in tribus, so tribes, that's the, the, um, the word used in, in Kanaki. And... It's really hard to calculate the value of their work because it's not work that's engaged in the economic process as it is in Noumea. It's, it's work that they do on the land, for instance, and in, in their villages. So it's difficult to measure it and to count it in the GDP. However, it's been estimated to be worth 12 billion francs. So Canucks are the majority in the northern province and in the islands the loyalty islands, but they are all seeking the light, the bright light of Noumea and the south because that's where the jobs are. That's why the, the Noumea agreement is about 
making sure the people from the north can stay in the north and the people from the islands can stay in the islands by creating development there so that they don't have to go to Numea. There's going to be a referendum about independence in November of this year. Obviously, one would suppose that the majority of Canucks will vote yes. Where will the majority of the Kaldosh vote? Kanak en majorité, ils votent indépendantes. So, Kanaks, you are right, they vote in the majority for independence. The Kaldosh live on their properties, on land that is next to the tribal areas. But So they have frequent contacts with the Kanak, um, but they know that these are traditional lands. So, so they live on traditional land of, of the Kanak, but in terms of of the law over there, they, they occupy, well, they're occupying those lands, but they have a right to do that legally. So I, I see the Kaldosh often, I go and see them on the weekends. The Kaldosh are not people who will come to a meeting. If you want to meet them, if you want to see them, you've got to go and visit them on the weekend, visit their family, have a beer, and then they talk. So when we talk about voting for independence with the Kaldosh, what they say to us is, this is my home, this is my land. If keeping this means voting yes, no problem, I'll vote yes. So they are still right-wing. It doesn't change their opinion. And when it comes to voting for a president, um, they will vote according to their beliefs. But when voting yes for them, it's about keeping their land. And if that's what it takes, they would do it. So our objective is that they vote yes, obviously. But we know that when we put in place, in place our project and our new project, they will not vote for a Kanak president. They will revert to voting for the right. But what that will do is re-establish the right-left dichotomy, whereas at the moment it's about independence or non-independence. Whereas in the new project, we will talk about right and left, and, and the Kaldosh would be on the right. What about the Kaldosh that live in Numia and they might be second or third generation? What, what is their stance and where is their interests? So something to understand, it's the Kaldosh are people of French background who've lived there for a long time, but they live in the bush. So they live near the tribal areas. And they've been there for several generations. They have land, they have property. Those who live in Numea, it's a combination of a few families who've been there for several generation, generations and people from metropolitan France who have arrived more recently. So the Kaldosh is specifically describing those old families who live in the bush on the land. So my question then is, what about the urban uh, non kanak in, in Nomia, they would not really have the attachment or the interest of the land. Population de la ville de Nomia. À un moment donné, il y avait des communistes, il y avait des socialistes, il y avait tous les gens de gauche. Mais au fil des années, so the situation is really different in Nomia because in Nomia, in the past, there were communists and socialists. There were a lot of people on the left. A lot of them have moved to the right, and because Numea is a city, they experience the same problem around violence, urban violence, and acts of delinquence as other cities. So they know fear, and so they've actually asked France to intervene and to provide more police and, and more security. 
So it's a, a very different attitude towards what France represents. So that was for Noumea itself as a city. But if you look at the large, the city of greater Noumea in a way, where there's other large populations there, if you count them, they actually represent half the voters in New Caledonia. So they're the ones we need to work with. That's why we're putting a lot of effort in that area, uh, in, in the large area of Noumea. We've got teams there that do a lot of the promotion around the referendum. There's a number of big mines in uh, New Caledonia or Kanaki. Are the trade unions in Kanaki divided among cultural lines or both European and Kanaki are all in the same unions? Les différentes populations se retrouvent dans les syndicats, mais il y a plusieurs syndicats. So the unions are not split along community lines. The, the different communities are in the same union, but they are the same unions, the same trade unions as in France. So they're the national one called the CGT, CFDT, um, and you'll have a union for the trades, you know, a union for the mine, a union for the public sector. So we, that's how the, the unions are divided according to the sector, but not, not by community. And are most unions for independence or against? In general, they are for independence. In general, the unions are pro-independence because most trade unionists are workers on fairly low income. So their struggle is similar to the struggle of the independence movement. They want a better life. They want a better quality of life. There is a, a union called USTKE, which is the union of the Kanak workers, the exploited Kanak workers, and they used to be affiliated to the FLNKS, the political party, the pro-independence political party. But they've actually withdrawn because they want to be seen as a trade union, they don't want to be seen as too close to politics, and they want to fulfill their role as a union, so they've, they've moved away from the FLNKS. As a last question, obviously there is a lot of campaigning going on for the, for the referendum. In the 1980s, the situation spiralled out of control. There were a lot of uh, deaths, there was a lot of repression. Do you think that in the months leading up to the referendum and the tensions or the emotions that it will generate, will it be positive outcome regardless of the vote or do you think it might reawaken those historical splits Oui, je pense que les Calédoniens aujourd'hui il y a un an, il y a deux ans. A year or two ago, people in New Caledonia were facing a wall. There was a lot of fear mongering and there was a lot of talking about the fact that social security, the welfare system, if New Caledonia moved to self-determination self and moved away from France, they would lose all this. Was in reality, it's already financed by New Caledonia. It's actually not financed by France anymore. So the work that needs to be done during this campaign, for us, is to, to demonstrate our vision for, for the, the country, is to show what, to explain to people what part is funded by the state, what part is funded by the territory. To, to take the drama out of it and, and to take the fear out of it because at the moment there is that discourse that without France we are ruined and we are lost. And strangely in the past months people have seemed calmer, they've, they've seemed more at peace, there's less tension, as if they understand that, well, the referendum is going to happen. 
it doesn't mean they'll vote yes, but there's an acceptance that it's going to happen, and so we feel there's less tension. Thank you very much for taking the time out to talk to us, and we wish you all the very best. Hi, it's Paul Kelly here. Hi, this is Shane Howard here, asking you to support 3CR. Independent radio station, encouraging independent music and independent thought. They've been supporting musicians for more than 30 years, so let's support them. 27 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents. And you've just been listening to uh, an interview with uh, Daniel Goa, who is a spokesperson for the um, Liberate, Socialist Liberation Front of uh, Kanak, talking about their Kanak in New Caledonia independence referendum coming up in November, and the voice of the interpreter was Sophie Duterte. Um, and I actually made a small mistake. Uh, Giselle actually cut it off with 10 seconds to go. So anyway, we all make little mistakes, don't we? I don't know if we can forgive you that. I'll, I'll contemplate it over the next week, Pierre. Well, and what I did cut off was, um, like I said, thank you, and they were going to say thank back, and, and Daniel actually said, uh, and, and I hope that your radio station will help us to win this um, referendum. So we'll try our best, won't we? <laughs> but it, actually, interestingly, just in that last announcement with um, Paul Kelly, uh, one of the things he said was uh, the independent um, voices of community radio, um, and particularly 3CR, I think that is particularly pertinent with the uh, merger slash takeover of um, Fairfax by Channel 9. So with the diminishing space of independence, really, you know, support your community radio station. That's right. And you wouldn't hear us on either Channel 9 or 3AW or 2GB or whatever. Well, I did say the diminishing space. (laughs) Not the space that they give us. That's right. All right. Well, that's all that we've got. A very quick announcement. First of all, there is a um, very important demonstration this afternoon against uh, racism um, outside Channel 7. So we're talking about the media. That's a very good segue there, Giselle. So it's against the um, the racist and the bigotry uh, TV programs by Channel 7. So that's at 2 p.m. Uh, outside the Channel 7 studios, uh, which are in Docklands. And I don't have the right the correct address but there's actually a very big sign that says channel seven so it's quite easy to see follow the star that's right so it's 2 p.m this afternoon but that's all we've got time for palestine remembered coming up straight after this uh we'll be back next week with another program of asia pacific currents on your favorite community radio station 3cr radio my name is pierre morrow and i'm giselle hannah you've been listening to a 3cr podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3cr in melbourne australia For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.